given and giving. When one thinks about talking about money and the Christian church, there are enough bad examples where there was exploitation of individuals just to get money, selfishness driving it. There can really be a hesitance on the part of Christians to be comfortable talking about money. On the other hand, there really is nothing more central to the life of a Christian than being able to talk about what a Christian is and what a Christian has. I suppose it's no surprise that uh, the instinctive thoughts that come into our minds when it comes to money are often connected to that darkness in the world that uh, thinks about possessions and earthly things as those are first for me, those are first for my interests. And to talk about it from God's perspective can almost seem like a threat. Like, I kind of suspect I know what God is going to say, and so I don't want to listen. Now, when we think about God and talking to us, have you ever imagined what it would be like if God hadn't spoken to us? Ever? That at the beginning of the world, when humans moved away from God, if God had decided just to let it go, but of course, in the end, people would still do a lot of the same things. They would live their life, they would have children, they would die, and then they would meet God, and then they would be judged, and, and God never would have told them what it was that was going to happen after death. God would never have done anything in order to prepare them for that moment. God would never have sent a Savior in order to take the guilt of the sins that you and I have committed. Right? What if, what if God had decided not to talk to us. It's like how lost we would be, how much in darkness we would be. There's a part of us when we imagine hearing God tell us something that assumes it's going to be for the worst, it is going to hurt us, it is going to make our lives miserable. And of course, that's a trick. The last thing, the last thing that would be on the Lord's mind when he speaks to us is a desire to hurt us. It is precisely the opposite. Like what a miracle that God did decide to talk to the very first people, that God did bring their sin to their attention, that he did explain why there would be consequences, that he did promise that there would be a savior. It's a miracle that God has decided to talk to us. And so as we think about God's perfect plan for our possessions, given and giving, we know that if God has something to say to us, and it truly is what God has to say and not what people are saying God has to say, if it's truly God's words to us, there is nothing better than to hear God's perfect plan. And so we pray that God will graciously turn on the light in the midst of all of the darkness and cloudiness of this world to help us see clearly what his plan is for our lives. Let's begin with a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for being so gracious to us, for giving us so many things. We ask that you would open our eyes to see those things that instinctively we would not have seen, that we truly might give you glory in everything that we do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I don't know if you are familiar with the game, What Were You Thinking? It's a game that we'll play at our house and Basically what happens is we all sit around the table and then there's a card and someone reads off one of the questions on the card and it might say something like the five favorite flavors of ice cream. And then each individual around the table 
has to write down their five, what they think are the five best flavors of ice cream? Well, not exactly. They actually have to try to guess what all of the other people around the table are thinking. What would their five favorite flavors of ice cream be? And after that happens, after everybody writes down their five, then the first person reads off their first item and asks how many others had this on their list. So hands get raised. You write down the number of those that picked the same thing you picked, and whoever has the biggest number at the end, well, you're a winner. If you have the lowest number, then you are the loser. So when we play this in our home, my wife and I usually have to be thinking very much from the perspective of the children because they outnumber us, and so we want more numbers on our side. If you were to imagine yourself at this moment playing this game, and writing down the first five things you think people think about when they think about possessions, what would those five things be? The first five things people think about when they think about possessions. Your minds may have started spinning and maybe you're thinking about a, a house, maybe a car, perhaps money, maybe it's a computer, perhaps a phone, right? Many things like that that we would consider possessions. What I'd like you to do now is think about maybe the, the top item on your list. And Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, in the very first verse of the Bible, the Lord says, in the beginning God created and then you might know how that ends, the heavens and the earth, right? I'd like you to put the first item in your list of five top possessions into that sentence. In the beginning, God created, and then you put your item in. What does that make you think about? The first thing that you might say is, well, like God didn't create that. He didn't create phones in the first six days of this world's existence. And and I suppose that's true, but then you might think a little bit more about it and all of the minerals that contribute to how that phone is put together. Well, I guess they were in the dirt when God first made the world, right? So you think about all of those things. What, what different conclusions does that lead you to draw when you think about putting your possession in the very first verse of the Bible? In addition to thinking, well, he didn't make my phone, but I guess he did make all of the minerals that go into producing it. You might be thinking, wow, um, I guess you could say that God made everything. And if God made everything that I own, what does that say about what I own? Is it really something that I own if God is the one who made everything? Just imagine yourself in that day before the first day, right? There was nothing, absolutely nothing, and there wasn't even a day. But then in the beginning, God made everything. In our house, if there are discussions among children about a particular object that two people want, um, 
you know, if it's something that belongs to neither of them, then maybe the parents just try to say, okay, you can have it for this amount of time, you can have it for this amount of time. But what if, what if whatever the children are talking about actually belongs to just one of them, or even more, was made by just one of them? If one of them made, out of Legos, a special device, and then another child wants to play with it, I think as a parent, you'd for sure go back to the one that made it and say, what do you think? Like, what would you like to do with this? When someone makes things, when, when someone makes things out of nothing, there is no question that, that he's the one we're interested in getting information about when it comes to what I should do with it. God made you. God made everything that you have. What does that mean? That means that everything really belongs to God. What that means is, I need to go to God to find out, like, how do you want me to use that Lego creation that you made, or whatever it is? And that is precisely where we go next in the first book of the Bible, Genesis. In Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 28, God tells us a little bit more about what it is that he made and his design. Like, what are we to do? with these things. So I'll just kind of summarize here, but starting in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28. So God blessed them, and this was the man and the woman, and he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And all the beasts of the earth, and all the birds of the air, and all the creatures that move on the ground, everything that has breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And, and it was so. When you think about Adam and Eve in that very first garden, right, as the world was just beginning, compare what Adam and Eve owned with what you and I owned. What we actually have right now. In what way would you say that our experiences with possessions are similar? In what way would you say that our experience with possessions is different? Like they had stuff and we have stuff, right? Um, they had every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that has fruit with seed in it. And they were to rule over all of the animals that lived on the earth and we have things, a house maybe, a car, a phone, a computer, some video games, a watch, clothes, right? So I guess it's similar in that we all have things and we all have possession of things. What makes it different? You might think, well, they were kind of backwards compared to where we are at technologically. And that may be true in a respect, although to imagine the wisdom that they had at the very beginning. You know, I don't know, would we have thought that they were all geniuses? And I'm, I'm not sure. But I think what we might be inclined to conclude is, well, their stuff was simpler. Like they had plants, they had animals around them. We've got all this craziness. And, and you might think that maybe they didn't have as much as we have, because we do have so much. Do you know who probably 
were the most wealthy people ever in the history of the world? Like, I'm thinking that it would be Adam and Eve. Because they had everything. Like, God gave them the world. They were the only two people on the planet. What does this teach us? I think one of the things it reminds us of is that having possessions is not automatically evil. We can't, we can't assume that just because we own something, that must mean that God wants us to feel guilty about that. It is possible to have everything and to be perfect. That's another thing that made Adam and Eve and their possession of possessions different from us. They were perfect, which means it is possible to own a lot and be honoring God in every way. But that's what we want to try to figure out how to do, right? We want to understand what is the perfect attitude toward possessions. What would be that light that God shines in our instinctively dark place where we mess it up, but God clears it up? Well, I think we would start off by saying a perfect attitude toward the possessions that God has given is to recognize that, wow, I was just given this entire thing. I didn't even exist. And now I have a planet of plants and animals and right Adam and Eve. There was no question in their mind that this had been given to them by God. And that this was God's. And that it was God who described how they were to use the possessions. Because everything was the Lord's, then they wanted to know what God's instructions for how to use these things, what those instructions were. A perfect attitude toward possessions recognizes that absolutely everything that I have is not my own. In fact, I'm not my own. God made me. I'm his. I'm his creation. Everything that I have belongs to God. And a perfect attitude toward possessions is asking, okay, so how do I use what you have created in order to honor you, the creator, whose plans for whatever you have made, God, I need to know. Well, the story, as God tells the history of the very beginning days of the world, it continues in Genesis chapter 2, verse 8. And I'm going to skip over a few verses here, and just kind of to summarize what he tells uh, tells his people, his creation next. So the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, and that was called the Garden of Eden. And there he put the man, when there was just uh, one individual, he put the man he had formed there, and he made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. And in the middle of the garden, he put the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. There was a river that flowed through the garden. In fact, there were four rivers. And, and uh, Moses, as he is writing Genesis, tells us the names of the four rivers. And then in verse 15, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. And the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Imagine that you were Adam, or imagine that Eve had been created, and you are Eve. As you think about their role in life, that their purpose in life, you might think about conversations you have had with other people, like 
what they think their purpose in life is. Can, can you think of things that people have said to you that would give an idea of like, that's why they're here on this earth. That's what they're supposed to do. Has, has someone told you like, why am I here? Well, like I'm trying to make the world a better place for the people who come after me. Or has someone told you, uh, my goal in life is to become as wealthy as I possibly can. Or someone might say, uh, my goal in life is to, what? What kinds of goals do people have in life? You may have had someone tell you, I'm not sure. Actually, I don't, I don't know. Like, that's what bothers me. I don't know what my purpose in life is. You might be aware that there are, are many people who struggle. They don't know why they're here. They feel depressed. They've experienced some difficulty. They're trying to make sense out of life. And that can, that can lead to a lot of bad places. It can lead them to despair of living. It can lead them to an addiction and trying to find satisfaction in another place. You might, you might be aware that, that um, some have reflected on this and talked about how there's a hole inside of every person. And there's an emptiness, a gap. And we, we just know that. And we're trying to fill it up. We're trying to figure out what gives meaning to life. And we can fill it up with human inventions and trying to make sense out of a temporary existence. Or we can find out what God said is the perfect peg to fit into that, that hole. Now, for Adam and Eve, they didn't struggle with that, because remember, they were perfect as God created them. So what I'd like you to think about as you reflect on the instructions that God gave to Adam and Eve, and as you think about what life was like in the Garden of Eden, imagine yourself creating a five-point schedule for what you, you're Adam now, or you are Eve now, what are the, what, what's your five-point schedule for a day in the Garden of Eden? What would you do? one thing after another. Maybe you've gotten partway down your list and you're thinking, well, like I would wake up and then God has told me to take care of the garden. So there's no weeds because there's no sin yet. So I'm going to go look for something to pick from the garden. And and maybe I'll have my breakfast and then I'll, I'll walk around with, with my beautiful wife and we'll talk and I'll find out what she's thinking and she'll find out what I'm thinking and we'll have great conversation and, and then we'll go and we'll meet some of the animals and then we'll maybe go in the garden again and, and, and maybe uh, try to plant something new or, and then maybe we'll finish our day by, you know, by going to sleep, finishing with a wonderful meal, and, and then, boy, I can't wait to wake up until the next, the next morning to find out what we're going to... You can imagine a schedule. When you think about whatever five things you would put on your schedule, and then you were to try to put into your words what their purpose in life was. Like in that perfect world, what was Adam and Eve's purpose in life? You might say... Well, I, like I think their purpose in life was to follow the will of God, to glorify him, to make sure that everything that he wanted them to do, they were doing. Or you might say, I don't know, that sounds like a really simple, just, that's the kind of vacation I would love to take. To just walk through a garden and take care of it and relax. 
or work and be happy about it, right? It almost feels too simple. Like, is that living a truly spiritual life that Adam and Eve would do what God had just told them they should do? We're reminded that a truly spiritual life does not depend on creating some like crazy grand spiritual thing that you're going to do, that, that you live out your life, you follow your purpose in life by doing the things that God has described for you. Martin Luther was known to, to, to highlight this reality that there could be a mother who's taking care of a child and she is no less a Christian than someone who was like a professional, uh, trained to be a pastor or something like that. When she was taking care of her little child, she was following God's purpose for her life. She was living out the time that God had given her. Was Adam and Eve's life simple in a way? I suppose. But what made their life distinct? They were following precisely God's plan for their life. And obviously, God's plan for their life was full of happiness and smiles. In fact, the perfection of Eden is an image that is used elsewhere in the Bible to describe what we're looking forward to when we die and we're with the Lord forever in heaven. So Adam and Eve, maybe the wealthiest who have ever lived, they had so many possessions, and yet they could live out a perfect life with those possessions, going through their day with a beautiful schedule, and honoring God at every step of the way. Of course you know that life did not stay perfect. And as we reflect on what the devil did, you begin to realize how in some ways he was going after this concept of what belongs to me, what should I have, how do I look at what God has done for me? In Genesis chapter 3, this is where things begin to go dark. The serpent, more crafty than all of the wild animals, and he goes up to the, the woman and he says, did God really say that you shouldn't eat from this tree? And at first Eve said, um, yeah, we can eat from all the trees, but, but not that one. And I don't even want to touch that one. Or we're going to, like she did not want to die. She did not want the consequence God had attached to a disobedience of his will. And the devil just comes right out. And she says, You're not going to die. You know, first he plants a little doubt, and then he just takes on God um, right right face to face. And he said, oh, God knows that when you eat this, your eyes are going to be open, and you're going to be like him. You're going you're gonna to know good and evil. As you think about this, like the devil telling Eve that if she just does this, then she will come to know good and evil. What promise, what false promise is implied as the devil offers this new option to her? And you might say, well, um, the promise is that she'll be like God. So that is what the devil said would happen if Eve listened to him and ate the fruit. But what is, what's implied there? What, what step is the devil offering if Eve goes ahead and does this? What is he saying about what is now and what would be if she follows? You see what he's, you see what he's doing there? He's saying that what is now is worse than what could be. He's saying that God's way is not as good 
as a different way. When you think about that trick, that God's way is not as good as the different way, in what way are some of the temptations that we face in connection with possessions very similar to the temptation that Adam and Eve faced in the garden? God's way is not as good as this other way. I think one of the most prominent temptations that comes with possessions is where we're feeling, I don't have enough. We're not content. It is not wrong to be interested in, oh, that looks really interesting. I think I would enjoy that. That's remember the joy that God brought even in the perfect garden of Eden through possessions. But if we're thinking about that other thing, because we couldn't be happy without that other thing. Now, all of a sudden, God's way, being content, is being called inferior to another way, which is you have to have this in order to be happy. It is so easy with regard to possessions to have a heart that's thinking about all of it, not from the perspective of contentment and, well, whatever God has done for me and given to me, I know I could be just fine. I am just fine with it. But to be dissatisfied. The world plays that card a ton, a ton, right? And unfortunately, it doesn't get better. So in Genesis 3, this temptation to consider God's way not the best way. In Genesis chapter 4, now they have children, Cain and Abel, right? And in Genesis chapter 4, verse 3, Abel, Cain, in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was angry and his face was downcast. Now, agree or disagree, it was a possessions problem that ultimately led to the murder of Abel by Cain. You might be thinking, it's an offering problem, but even there, like they were giving an offering to the Lord, it, it was something of the heart, right? We can't tell just from what was offered if we know that, well, this offering was uh, more costly than that one. All we know is that God, who could look into the heart, understood there was some problem with Cain's separating himself from some of his possessions as an offering to the Lord. And what was the problem? We aren't sure. But as Cain struggled in some way with his this separation from some of his possessions, he recognized that Abel was righteous in this regard. And so Abel's righteousness was the opposite of Cain's unrighteousness. And he saw the contrast and that made him angry. But <laughs> Abel, in a way, was the light that was shining onto his darkness and revealing his evil. And pretty soon the anger got so bad that he thought, you know, the way to get rid of this light in my darkness is to eliminate it, to exclude it from life, to take, to take Abel's life. This challenge when it came to appropriate attitude towards something given to God as an offering, the failure to honor God, it led to murder. 
you might reflect, you might say, I know there's probably things I've thought about, about money and selfishness and greed and like the list goes on, right? Possessions can be a huge temptation. Like you might be willing to say, yeah, I, I think that's happened to me, but you might struggle to say, and I know it's just, I know it's, I'm, I'm, I'm in danger. Like this is putting me in danger. The account of Cain reminds us how sin can start at a certain place and can end up in a very, very different place with us being in huge trouble, in grave danger spiritually. What we see is that in the life of Cain, a descendant of his, the man's name was Lamech, he ended up, it seems, struggling with the very same thing. Now, he's interesting. We already have evidence of him moving away from the plan of God. He had two wives, and uh, the wives that he had had children. We're in Genesis chapter 4, verses 19 to 24. His children are fascinating. Uh, one of them was named Jabel, and he was the one, an, an, the ancestor of those who lived in tents and had, had livestock. So those who were sheep herders or goat herders or something like that. His brother's name was Jubal, and Jubal was the father of all who play the harp and the flute. So musical instruments were invented. Uh, another son, Tubal-Cain, he was the one who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. So with his children, Lamech's children, you see it's like this explosion of technology, and that's what, like to invent that from nothing, right? Is That's crazy. Like I was thinking, these, these gentlemen, these individuals had to have been at some level, like geniuses. So technological advancement. But you know what, what Lamech does? He reflects, and the reflects in particular on his ancestor Cain. And what he was recalling is that God had said, um, after Cain had committed this murder, and God's mercy just flowed, and Cain was afraid that he would be killed, and God says, I'm going to protect you. And now Lamech, his descendant, says, so if Cain gets avenged seven times, anybody who messes with me is going to get avenged 77 times. There was a pride. There was a valuing of oneself at a very high level. And there was a viewing of others as less. When we think about our possessions, it is possible to not be content and to want more. It's also possible to have something that feeds our pride and then to look down on others as a consequence. How easy it is with our things to have attitudes that are contrary to the will of God for our lives, the will of the one who owns everything. As we reflect on these negative examples, and as we have seen in the perfect Garden of Eden how godly people can have possessions and honor God, nevertheless, it is our, it is our goal, as we continue to talk about God's perfect plan for our possessions, to have the light of the Lord, the grace of our God, the one who is so filled with love. Everything that he does ultimately comes from a heart of love to understand how his light shines in a world where the devil and the temptations around us and our own sinful flesh are so easily led astray into lies when it comes to our possessions. 
Oh, we just want the truth. We just want the truth. We want God, the creator of all, the creator of us, to tell us, here's the way. How we long to know God's way. Let's close with a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your undeserved love shown throughout the history of the world, including at the very beginning. As we appreciate all that you have done for us, help us also come to appreciate exactly what it means to be those who are taking care of the things that belong to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.